Hello there, everybody. This is Father Tom Provenzano welcoming you to a special midweek edition of the Axe Podcast. And uh, this evening, as I'm speaking, <laughs> you might be listening to this at any particular time, but it's evening as I'm uh, I'm speaking to you. Today we're going to talk a little bit about the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, which is coming up on the 8th, uh, which will be tomorrow. You know, again, by my reckoning of as I'm speaking to you right now, and also a little preview about Our Lady of uh, Guadalupe, two very uh, important and, and beautiful Marian feasts. And so, quite fittingly, before we go to do that, let's do this. Let's uh, pray an Ave in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Mary, help of Christians, pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So the 8th of December is the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. And it's the Immaculate Conception of our Blessed Mother. Okay, some people make the mistake of thinking it, it's, the, it's the conception of Jesus, but no, it's the conception of the Blessed Mother. And this dogma was uh, defined and solemnly defined uh, by Pius IX in 1854. And basically the, the dogma states that the Most Blessed Virgin Mary, in the first instance of her conception by a singular grace and privilege, granted by Almighty God, in view of the merits of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the human race, was preserved free from all stain of original sin, and that it is a doctrine revealed by God, and therefore to be believed firmly and constantly by all the faithful. Now, if you notice, I say 1854, and you might say, well, 1854, so this is a new dogma. And I say, no, it's, it's not a new dogma. It's actually a very old teaching and belief of the church. It's just that it had never been defined before. It had never been given a formal definition. The idea that Mary was free from sin was pretty much universally believed east and west up until the the Protestant Reformation. It's, it's really only with the Protestant Reformation that you begin having questions about this. Now, what was questioned previously and why a definition was needed was, was that the, the, the debates revolved around at what point does Mary become free from uh, original sin? Uh, you know, famously, and, and some of you out there may know this already, that for centuries, for centuries and centuries, you basically had two schools. You had the Dominican school, and you had the Franciscan school. And the Dominicans, uh, including uh, Thomas Aquinas, uh, did not favor the, the idea of the Immaculate Conception. Thomas Aquinas believed Mary was sinless and actually believed that Mary was sinless from the womb. But, but theologically and philosophically had a hard time accepting that it was from the moment of conception, that he believed that it had to be at some later point that she was granted this gift. There are others, especially in the East, who, who connected Mary's sinlessness with the Annunciation, that when uh, she said yes, when she gave her fiat, to uh, to the angel 
you know, to God through the through the angel, that uh, at that moment she was freed from uh, all state of, of of original sin. And then there was obviously the argument that was pretty much defended by the Franciscans that no Mary was conceived from the moment of, of her conception. Uh, this is something fitting and good, uh, fitting in the sense of uh, the mother should be honored. And you would you would think that that you know if 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 the word is going to be made flesh, and be born of a of a woman that that he would want that gift for his own mother, and that it you know it's it's a good and, and right thing. So what's happening in 1854 is all the Pope is saying is is you know there's been over 1800 years of debate over this. Uh, I think it's maybe a good time to kind of put an end to it and to definitively say once and for all what exactly this means because the feast predate again the feasts predate uh, the definition again by centuries the, the Immaculate Conception in one way or another was at first it was celebrated regionally and you know locally and then it eventually became a, a something on the universal calendar uh, you know parishes uh, named after the Immaculate Conception again predate the uh, uh, the actual definition of the of of the dogma. So what happens in 1854 is is simply the Pope consults with the bishops of the world. Is this a good time to actually formulate a definition? And do we have a consensus on that definition? Do we do we do we believe that she was really conceived without original sin? Is this something which is a part of the, the, the what we call the deposit of faith, and has, has been a part of the tradition since apostolic times. And he received back uh, positive uh, feedback on that, and so made that made that declaration. And so, it's a good feast. We should celebrate it with joy, uh, and uh, you know, understand that. Uh, you know, our, our Blessed Mother, when we honor our Blessed Mother, it is always with the purpose of honoring the Son. You know, a big mistake many people, and I think, you know, people of goodwill. I, I don't, you know, I, I think that many of our, many, you know, many of my Protestant brothers and sisters out there who uh, who kind of look down on devotion to Mary and, and the saints, but we're focusing on Mary right now, uh, you know, they, they think that they're defending Jesus, and I think what they don't quite understand is that the reason why we as Catholics make such a big deal about the mother, make such a big deal about Mary, is because it's in order to protect the son and the place of Jesus. Because very early on, when, pe when people like the Arians, for instance, were trying to question Jesus' divinity, uh, they would oftentimes also attack the Blessed Mother. And so we, we call Mary, another, another title of Mary is Mother of God. And again, I know some people get all freaked out about, you know, Mary, you know, us proclaiming that Mary is the Mother of God. Well, the thing is, is that that, that title comes from that period when Jesus' divinity was being questioned. Because what the enemies of 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 the divine nature of Jesus was saying is that that Jesus was adopted, and that Mary isn't the mother of of 
of God. Uh, she's the mother of Jesus. She's the mother of a, a human person. And when we say that Mary is mother of God, obviously we're, you know, we're not saying, you know, the mother of God from all eternity. But what we're saying is that in as far as Jesus is a divine person with a human nature, she is the mother of God. You know, I don't want to get too deep into the, because there's a lot of things, again, concerning basically this day and this feast I want to talk about more specifically. So I don't, I don't want to go too far down a rabbit hole here. But it's, it's, it's just to say that, that a person's nature are kind of the qualities that make us who we are, okay? So there are qualities that make a human being a human being. And Jesus has those qualities. He's got that nature, that human nature. But he's a divine person. And mothers don't give birth to natures. <laughs> they give birth to persons. And so Mary, in that way, is the mother of God, insofar as she is the mother of a divine person, Jesus Christ. And in, it is fitting, it is good and it is fitting, that she was preserved from original sin from the moment of her conception. There is another reason for those of us who are in the Salesian family why this feast is really such a big deal because we believe that this is the day that we mark as the beginning of, of Don Bosco's mission with young people. It's not the beginning of the order. It's not like the Founder's Day or something, anything like that. But we, we sort of take this day and we mark it as the day when his mission with young people began. Now, Don Bosco was ordained in 1850, excuse me, 1841. Now, you can see already that's that's 13 years uh, before the the dogma is is defined. But he is there preparing for Mass on the Feast of the, you got it, Immaculate Conception. And he has this encounter with a young person in the sacristy. Uh, you know, a few minutes before the an overzealous sacristan had tried to chase this teenager, teenage boy who had come in out of the cold, had literally tried to chase him out of the sacristy with a broom and kind of hitting him over the head with a broom. And Don Bosco kind of caught the end of this encounter and kind of asked the sacristan, "You know, Giuseppe, what's going on here? What's the what's the ruckus?" And the sacristan goes, "Oh, Don Bosco, this." This you know this tramp this kind of bum kid you know is just kind of hanging out in the in the sacristy and you know he has no business here and and Don Bosco was like hey wait a minute you know Giuseppe this is a friend of mine this is my friend and you know Giuseppe's looking a little confused bring him back in here and so he brings the boy back in and the boy's a little skittish. But Don Bosco kind of calms him down a little bit and begins to ask him, so where are you from? You know, where are your parents? You know, do you know how to read and write? You know, it ends up the boy is from another region of Italy. Okay, Don Bosco's in Piedmont. Uh, this uh, boy whose name was Bartholomew, Bartolomeo, uh, was from a place called Asti. 
and uh, his parents were dead. He was 16 years old. And, you know, he doesn't know how to serve Mass. He doesn't know how to pray the Our Father. He doesn't know how to pray the Hail Mary. Don Bosco, you know, keeps on asking these series of questions, and the answer is always no. You know, I you know, can't read or write. No Hail Mary, no Our Father, you know, no First Communion. Don't know how to read and write, you know, and I can't find a job, basically. So Don Bosco says, okay, look, we have to start Mass now, so come back and see me. Just stay, stay for Mass, and then come and see me when Mass is over. So when, when Mass is over, they met again. And, you know, Don Bosco asked him, you know, would you like to get your First Communion? And, you know, the boy was like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm 16, you know, the First Communion kids are, are all seven or eight, and I feel like a, a jerk, you know, sitting in, uh, in class. And at that time, it, mu- it might have been a little bit older, because I don't think, I'm not sure the Pope had lowered the age of First Communion yet, but, but even if it was 12 or 13, still, you know, he was 16 and he felt kind of out of place and, and awkward. And Don Bosco said, look, you, you come back and we'll, I'll prepare you and, you know, bring young people back with you. And, and then he taught him the sign of the cross. So we said the sign of the cross is the first religion lesson. You know, the, the other part of this that I, that I left out, uh, excuse me, is that when he got to the end of the questions, and Don Bosco himself is getting a little frustrated because the answers are all no. To you know, do you know how to read or write? And do you you know, do you know you're our father and Hail Mary and all that? He finally says, "Do you know how to whistle?" And the boy kind of smiles and they kind of whistle a tune together. So, with the, with the idea there being that, Don Bosco went to find out where can I make a connection? Where can I go and make a connection with this kid? That he knows that I'm with him and that we're on you know the same side, quote unquote. And uh, and the idea for us is to try to reach the young people uh, wherever we can find them and whatever place they're at in their life, even if all they can do is whistle, to at least, you know, meet them there and then try to help lift them up. So that religion lesson, it you know, it's punctuated by a whistle and by the sign of the cross, which is uh, the first religion lesson that that. Bart, uh, uh, Bart made or had with, with Don Bosco. And, you know, that this happened on December 8th is not, you know, a coincidence. Many of Don Bosco's, the great events of Don Bosco's life either happened at or near major feasts of Our Lady. He definitely had a great faith that our Lady was the one who was really behind a lot of his uh, mission and that she was his teacher and that the Salesian mission was given you know, by the Holy Spirit through the, the Blessed Mother. And, you know, in the life of Don Bosco in general, the Immaculate Conception was important because she, he had many devotions, different devotions to Our Lady under different titles over the years. The one that he settled on was Mary, help of Christians. And again, many of you out there who are familiar with the Salesian family know that that is our great Marian devotion, uh, May 24th being her, her feast day. But what you have to also understand is that it was always 
Mary, the Immaculate Help of Christians. He always connected the Immaculate Virgin Mary with her being the help of Christians. And the great virtue that is connected with the Immaculate Conception is that really is of sexual purity. And, you know, Don Bosco, as he was forming the Salesians, wanted the Salesians to be known for their dedication to chastity. That, you know, just as the Jesuits were known for obedience, and almost military obedience, and Franciscans were known for their poverty, their extreme poverty, the Salesians should be known for chastity. And, you know, we who live in the post-sexual revolution world, uh, you know, somehow think that, you know, we invented perversity. Uh, when the reality is, is that uh, these things have always existed. And they existed in Don Bosco's time also. And he worked with young people living on the street, young boys living on the street, who were open to all sorts of moral dangers, who were, you know, I'm going to, in case there were... <laughs> In case there are children listening, I'm going to keep this, uh, you know, friendly. But you know, let's let's just say that there were you had boys on the street and girls on the street. But Don Bosco was working more with boys. But you had boys on the streets in from the country with little work and little opportunity. And let's just say they they sold things, and maybe even they sold themselves sometimes in order to make some type of a living to at least feed themselves. And at times, maybe they even found themselves trapped in uh, different uh, exploitative situations. Okay, today we might call it human trafficking. But, you know, something in the, in, along those lines. So he understood that those dangers were there. And that uh, human nature being what it, what it is, uh, you know, given to sin, we, you know, we need, we need that help. We need that divine help. And we need that help of Our Lady's intercession with God. And so he always held up that Mary help of Christians, but the Immaculate help of Christians uh, as a way of promoting that, the, the values of, of chastity uh, impurity with the young boys. So on on the twelfth of December is the feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, which here in the United States is is raised to the level of a of a feast. Uh, but this year it's a it's a Sunday. The twelfth lands on a Sunday, which is the third Sunday of Advent. And so in really the in the parishes. You really are not supposed to uh, celebrate liturgically the feast. Uh, I can tell you the feast is going to be celebrated uh, in non-liturgical ways. Uh, certainly, there are still going to be processions. I know we're going to have a procession uh, at our parish, and there's going to be different festivals and, and celebrations. Uh, there's really no holding that back. But so usually, what ends up happening when the feast lands on a Sunday? And you're in a uh, a predominantly uh, Hispanic or really specifically Mexican uh, uh, parish. Um, what what ends up happening is you do the mass 
in our in this case for the third Sunday of Advent, but you know the they're they're still singing what they call the Manianitas, and there's still going to be the blessing of the roses, and you know you know that the priest is probably going to you know for, even though the reading is going to be on John the Baptist, you know that that the, the it's good the, the the homily anyway is going to relate to uh uh to 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 our lady uh it's just, just really no uh, getting away with you know there's no there's no getting away from it essentially there's no getting away from it and nor do i think there should be it's a beautiful feast and you know I, i'm not going to go into maybe you know for the next episode when we hit the weekend i'll go more into the history of history and background of the feast but just uh for now just to go into really how big this feast is for the mexican people and really uh how big it's becoming in a way for uh all the americas that certainly was john paul's hope was that it would be a feast that would be kind of adopted more broadly that's why he raised it to the level of a feast for for all the Americas, it's a solemnity in Mexico City, and in Mexico, it's actually a holy day of obligation in in Mexico. So, uh, in in the federal district, I don't know if it's the whole country, but definitely in the federal district. And you know, the feast of Our Lady Guadalupe is like a combination of you know a very big Marian feast, the major Marian feast, but also kind of like Independence Day. You know, uh, you know, uh, Thanksgiving. You know, uh, those things kind of all wrapped in, all wrapped up into one, because definitely the the national identity is wrapped up in the idea that you know we are all Guadalupanos, we are all uh, sons and daughters of Our Lady of Guadalupe, and uh, you know. It's to us that Mary came and visited back in in, in 1531, and there's a great deal of of pride and uh, and uh, joy, you know, surrounded surrounding this feast in that day. And you know, the feast is more than the day. So you know, in some places, depending on where you are, there are. 46 rosaries that are prayed beginning back from toward the end of uh of october why 46 rosaries well because there are 46 stars on the mantle of the image of our lady of guadalupe and so every day you have uh you have people who come to pray the rosary and then beginning during the uh novena the nine days before uh, in our church anyway we've been up every day at quarter after five and we've been praying the rosary and singing what's called the manianitas the manianitas uh it's a traditional uh song usually sung on someone's birthday but it's it's a it's a again a, a song of of joy and a song of greeting and uh so in between Mysteries of the Rosary, uh, a verse of the Manianita is, uh, is sung in honor of Our Lady. And there's usually the image of Our Lady is sort of put in the, somewhere in the sanctuary area. And little by little as the week goes on, uh, more and more roses end up showing up. 
and people bringing roses and offering them to our our lady. And so by the end of it, you got flowers all over the place, uh, <laughs> as well as people lighting candles and you know around the image and you know obviously you got to keep the flowers and the candles at a safe distance from one another but but nonetheless that's going on and then you know after the the praying of the of the rosary and uh, sometimes there's a special mass and sometimes there's you know hot chocolate and pandulce with you know just kind of a a, a sweet bread um pastry like uh, like bread and uh you know, before people go off to work, you know, some people say, well, why get, why do they get up so early? Cause they gotta go to work. <laughs> they're doing all this, you know, uh, it really is a, a sacrifice for them, but they're getting up extra early, going to church, honoring our lady for those nine days and then going off to, uh, uh, to work. And then on the, on the feast itself, uh, in the evening. Now, you know, when I was in Chicago, uh, in the town of Des Plaines, which is right next to Chicago, there's a huge sanctuary for of Our Lady Guadalupe, a huge shrine. And so like over 100,000 people on the night of the 11th uh, process from all over Chicagoland uh, in order to be at the Mass at midnight for Our Lady of Guadalupe. And, you know, these are things that are repeated in, in many different places. I've never, I was never in Mexico City for the feast. Uh, but I believe something similar happens at the at the basilica uh, down there in, in Mexico City it, itself. And uh, during in Mexico, I I was in Mexico in the in the country in, in the Guadalajara area, and it's a day where businesses are often shut, and it's a day where it's sort of like you have company picnics essentially. Uh, and what will happen is, for instance, I was a deacon. I wasn't a priest yet. But we would go to a factory. And I went with a priest. I accompanied a priest. And I was the deacon at Mass on the floor of a factory uh, for the workers of this particular place. And uh, then afterward, they'd go out and essentially have a picnic and, and play soccer. And uh, it was funny that I, I, when I was uh, a pastor in, uh, in Elizabeth, New Jersey, I got a call from a local man who owned a small factory. It's a, basically it was like a tie dye place. They would make, they put like the decals on backpacks and shirts and jackets and stuff like that. And he asked if I would come up and say mass at, at the factory on our lady of Guadalupe and, uh, and, uh, and, you know, stay for a little party. Now, again, in Mexico, it's easy because it's, it's warm so going out and playing soccer is, is of course, the thing to do. Here in the United States, it's a little different, a little colder. So no one was going out, you know, on the 12th of December to go, you know, play soccer. But they did have a bit of a party and, you know, something afterward, some you know, nice refreshments and, you know, hot chocolate and a lot of good food. And, the, you know, the the beauty of it is I, I many of the, 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 the owner himself was not Mexican. He was, a, I forget what, he was of a different uh uh, Latin America from a different Latin American country, but many of his workers were Mexican, and he was really doing this for them, which I thought was a very beautiful thing. You know, it's something that we forget. You know, each of these countries in Latin America is a distinct country with its distinct culture and also distinct uh, devotions. And so, someone from you know, someone from Colombia 
isn't necessarily, you know, devoted to Our Lady of Guadalupe. You know, they think of it as a, that's a Mexican thing. You know, we have our devotions here. Uh, and it's the same way with all the different, you know, someone from Cuba as well, it's Our Lady of Caridad, what I, you know, I, that's, that's my feast day. Okay. Uh, so this was a very beautiful thing, though, that this person was saying, look, I, you know, this not, might not be my particular devotion, but it is the devotion of, of most of my workers, and I'm going to, you know, I want them to feel at home, and I want them to feel good, and I, I want them to be happy, and that they should have this uh, celebration. So it was a it was a it was a beautiful experience. So it's it's things like that. So things like that. It's a it's a festive day. It's really a beautiful day. It's a day of devotion, and uh, a day of community. So again, I'll talk maybe a little more in the next uh, episode about the, the specifics of the history of it. But just to give you a little background about what we've been doing and again here on on the day itself we're going to have a a procession we'll have the mass again it'll be the mass for the sunday but still with the heavy focus toward <laughs> toward the uh, much nodding of hats toward the the feast day itself and then you know uh tomales and pozole and tacos i hope anyway i'm hoping for, i'm hoping for, it's my personal hope is some tacos end up showing up so you know, afterward, uh, you know, as a way of uh, of celebrating, you know, I'm an Italian boy, but uh, from my years down there, I learned to love Mexican food. So especially when it's authentic Mexican food, it's really good. So I'll leave that there right now. Again, we'll talk maybe more later on about the specifics of the history of this feast and you know the the further significance of it. But uh, yeah, so we'll leave that right there right now. All righty, that'll do it for uh, this uh, special midweek episode. We'll be back again either uh, Friday evening or sometime on Saturday uh, with our regular uh, weekend edition where we'll go a little deeper into Our Lady of Guadalupe. I'll talk a little bit more about the history of that feast and then obviously talk about the Sunday, uh, third Sunday of Advent coming up. And yes, uh Again, I'm still working on those uh, kind of installments on the rise of witchcraft and the occult. I'll hopefully have something for you on that next week. Uh, you know, as well as maybe talking a little bit more uh, about uh, you know the case that's up in front of the Supreme Court right now. That was the the uh, arguments were made in front of the court last week on the Mississippi abortion law and the, and the rather stunning claim by one of the justices that the fetus is actually already dead, which that's not exactly what she said, but if she really thought about what she was saying, that's what she was saying, uh, and really just how absurd uh, that line of argument sort of is. And uh, and yes, and we'll, I, I know that there was something else I was gonna, I was preparing for you, and I will be, and I'll think of that probably, you know, tonight when I'm rolling over in bed and saying, gee, I can't believe I forgot the about that topic. But anyway, God bless all of you. Know that you're in my prayers. Remember, Holy Day of Obligation on the on the 8th, so please get to Mass. Know that you're in my prayers, and uh, please pray for me. Okay, God bless all of you. Bye-bye.